Hi, welcome to the Historical Paranormal Podcast. I'm your host, Krista Nichols, and I'm so excited to bring you this next story because it is the one ghost story that seriously freaks me out, that seriously scares me, and when I think about it, and I think about it often because, again, it's it's pretty legit. Um, you know, I, th- I think about it and that it's still a mystery. Um, and it's not even really a ghost story, but it takes place in a hotel that I would say is the most haunted hotel I've ever heard of. It takes place at the Cecil Hotel in LA, which is downtown LA, and it is very close to Skid Row. It was built in 1924, and it's just, it's it's got a history. I'll say that. It's definitely got a history. So I like to focus a little bit on the victim here, and I'm going to do that for the first portion of the podcast because... You know, we often lose track of that in stories like this, that this is a real person with thoughts and feelings and struggles with mental health, as we'll see. So let's talk about Elisa. So this is the story of the disappearance and death of Elisa Lamb. Elisa Lamb was a college student from Burnaby, just outside of Vancouver, Canada. She struggled with feelings of inadequacy, of being a disappointment to people around her, and had been diagnosed with bipolar disorder and depression. I have gone through a few of her blogs, or two of her blogs, because those are the ones that are available online. You can still find them on Blogspot and on Tumblr. And I I really got engrossed in reading what she wrote, because a lot of the the thoughts and the facts that she had put out there, but mostly the thoughts were similar to thoughts that I've had. And I'm sure a lot of people have had. In fact, if you look at a lot of the comments um, after her death on that blog, because again, it is public, anyone can comment on it. It's a lot of people saying, we feel for you. There's one woman who um, reaches out to her and her name is Emma. And she tells her to get help, that she's clearly dealing with some serious things here. And while she could go it alone, it would be better if she did go and get help. But I did find an excerpt from one of her posts that I wanted to share uh, because it just kind of shows where her mind or her state was. She says, good job. You stopped yourself from even starting. You're so lazy. You'll never accomplish anything. If you weren't so lazy, maybe you'd probably wouldn't have dragged out this depression for so long. God, why do you give up so easily? You make it like a snap decision. Why do you have no commitment and no diligence? You're so freaking lazy. You're a phony. You want to cruise by and fool everyone into thinking you're smart, but really, you did the least amount of work and pretended you worked really hard and you deserve this mark. If there's an easy way, you will manipulate people into getting it and then feel guilty afterwards because, oh, you didn't live up to your morals and ideas. I'm going to end the quote there because it goes on like that and increasingly gets more worrisome. It's almost as though she has a demon on her back telling her these things, and she's trying her hardest towards the end of the post to at least say something positive about herself, but the negativity really overwhelms her. So she was, she did end up getting help. I guess she either listened to the the woman who had made that that post on her, on that particular blog, um, or she had been getting help. I'm not quite sure because her family kept a lot of this private and really didn't talk about her struggles with mental health. So she was prescribed and taking, at the time of her death, Welbutrin, Lamictal, Seroquel, and Effexor. 
Not much is known about whether she was feeling suicidal or she had had suicidal thoughts. Again, her family did not speak of it, and they really haven't spoken about it much since then. There had been a a time where she had gone briefly missing, but it wasn't brought up during the search for her. But after that post, she did begin a new blog on Tumblr, Nouvelle Nouveau, which was mostly fashion photographs. She used the same quote for both blogs, though, which I'll share with you. She said, or the quote is, you're always haunted by the idea you're wasting your life by Chuck Palahniuk. I do believe that these feelings led her to take a trip alone into California. Maybe she needed a change of pace, or maybe she just knew that something in her life had to give. And maybe that something was her. I'm guessing her interest in fashion is what motivated the city choice because the pictures on her Tumblr seemed like a lot of the fashion that LA is known for with bright colors, clean lines, artistic statement pieces over, you know, just mass appeal and stuff. Um, No matter what her motivation was, she did find herself in LA on January 26th. And after two days there, she checked into the infamous Cecil Hotel. And for those of you who don't know, this hotel is known for murders, suicides, and serial killers like Richard Ramirez or the Night Stalker and Austrian serial killer Jack, and I'm going to probably say his name wrong here, Unterweger. Um, It's also known for Elizabeth Short or the Black Dahlia. She stayed there right before her murder. And it was the main inspiration for the fourth season of the American Horror Story series Hotel, which even the lobby. Now, once I started putting that together and I had read that it was the inspiration, it makes so much sense. Even the lobby looks like that. Um, it's just, it's an engrossing story that I really should touch on later on because there's just a massive amount of suicides. I think there is a Wikipedia post or page dedicated to all of the suicides alone and then some of the murders that came of it. So really interesting. So Moving on, she was assigned to a room shared with roommates, but after several complaints about her odd behavior, the hotel ended up moving her to a room on her own. So I guess the hotel at that time was known for doing like a hostel type situation where you would have a few people staying in one room and I guess her roommates didn't, didn't work out with them or something. It would be interesting to know if anybody had interviewed the roommates. I'm not, I didn't see that anywhere. And whether they had or not, because that would be something I would look into and say, okay, what was her odd behavior? What could have led to this? But during her trip, she had contacted her parents every day. But on January 31st, 2013, her last scheduled day at the Cecil, she didn't call. Her parents were concerned because like I said before, she'd gone missing. So they called the LAPD thinking maybe something had gone off with her drugs and she would be found pretty quickly. So the hotel was searched. They even brought in um, cadaver dogs to search as well. Um, They searched as much as legally possible. And when I say that, they couldn't go into every room. There were still guests at that hotel that had rights. You do have legal rights at hotels. And they couldn't go into their rooms without thinking something criminal had happened. Although, after they found out that something maybe criminal, maybe not had happened, as far as I know, the rooms were still not searched. Moving on. They did also search the rooftop with no sign of Elisa. After that, flyers were distributed through the neighborhood to get people's attention and see if maybe she was roaming the streets or if anyone had seen her. Again, this hotel is next to Skid Row, so 
chances are, even if someone had seen her, they may not remember. Or she had just kind of gone missing in the crowd. One person, and she was a manager at a bookstore near the hotel named Katie Orphan, had seen and spoken with her. She said that she was really happy and excited to go home. There was nothing amiss about it. And they even had a conversation um, about one of the books she was buying because she thought it was just too heavy to travel with. And that was the end of that interaction. There was nothing to suggest that what happened later would happen. So on February 15th, after two weeks of not hearing from her, the LAPD released the famous video surveillance taken of her in one of the Cecil's elevators. And by the way, I don't know if it's Cecil or if it's Cecil, to be honest, I've never been there and I really probably won't. Um, they just renamed it to the, be the stay on main, probably because of the horrifying past that this hotel has. Um, nevertheless, it's one of those Cecil or Cecil, but you get the idea. Um, the clip that they released is incredibly unsettling. I remember watching it and just turning it off halfway through because I was so scared when I first saw this clip, which was about three years ago. Um, I was really scared for this girl and just sad. So to describe it a little bit, and I would definitely say to find it on YouTube, I'll put a clip on YouTube on the website or from YouTube on the website, but I'll describe it a little bit as to what happened. So the elevator doors for a little while in the video, you can kind of see them open and closing and I'm guessing they're going to different floors, but, um, they're doing it on their own. There's nobody controlling them doing this. I don't know. I don't know elevator technology. I'm going to be real honest with you. But I also don't know elevators should just move on their own because it's kind of a waste of energy. So the video is really grainy and details are kind of hard to catch in it, but you can see the hallway outside the elevator doors. So Elisa gets onto the elevator. She's wearing a red hoodie over a gray t-shirt, black shorts and sandals, what appears to be black shorts and sandals. She enters from the left and she pushes several buttons or selects several different floors, and then seems to get as far back into the elevator corner as possible, which I don't know. I've done that before just because I want to see, I want to take in the whole look. And for a hotel as historic as the um, Cecil Hotel is, I believe it was built in 1923, 27, something around there, 27, 1927. Um, maybe you want to take it in. I'm not sure. But nevertheless, she goes to the far back corner of the elevator. The doors don't close as quickly as they seem like they should. So she leans back out, looking around to the left and the right, almost like she's thinking someone's there holding the elevator button down or something. It does look as though she is trying to find someone. She seems to see something or someone because she gets quickly back into the elevator and presses herself into the corner like she's hiding and trying to just make herself as small as possible. The doors have still not closed, even though she has selected those floors. So again, she gets out of the elevator and stands in the hall, looking around for someone or something. I don't know. Um, when she comes back into the elevator cab, she looks around the corner to her right, then goes back to the wall near the control panel. Um, she pushes many, many more buttons at this point, some twice, just really hurried and, and scared seeming. This time her hands are over her ears. She's peering around the corner before that. And like both hands are on the side of the elevator. Like she's just kind of barely eking out uh, a look. And then she goes back and her hands are over her ears, which is very, very strange to me. Um, strange behavior. 
the elevator door has still not closed or moved. She leaves the elevator again, and this time she turns to her right, which is the direction she was looking right before then. She appears to argue with someone with her hands outstretched and her palms pointing down towards the floor. She continues to do this, and then she stops speaking and just kind of rocking really gently. This is the last we see of Elisa alive. The video is widely questioned due to about a minute of of footage missing from it, but this could also be to protect the identity of a guest at the hotel and isn't totally unheard of, to be honest. Um, It is very, very odd. You would think that even if there was a guest, maybe that they could blur out their face so that they wouldn't be implicated in what turned into um, a death. We don't know if it's a murder or not. It was not ruled that way. So I get that if that was the case, but... Who knows? They've never spoken on it, and you would think that they would. If they did, then maybe there would be a little bit less of a mystery on that, but again, we don't know. So while the search for Elisa continued, because it took about three weeks, guests at the Cecil, Cecil, damn it, I really don't know, and now it's annoying me. I'm going to say Cecil because it's just easier to say. Guests at the Cecil began complaining of extremely low water pressure and kind of a funny look and taste to the water. Some people said it looked black or black maybe brackish is what they meant to say. I don't know. Um, and of course, you know, again, the taste or water tasted funny. So they checked it out. And on the morning of February 19th, her body was found completely naked with her clothing floating around her in one of the 4,000 gallon tanks that provided water for the guest rooms, kitchen, and the hotel coffee shop. Her watch and room key were also found in the tank with her. There was speculation when the video surveillance was released that maybe she was on some sort of party drug and that mixed with her four medications had caused her to hallucinate and imagine that she was arguing or being chased by somebody, which is possible. But on February 21st, the Los Angeles coroner's office issued a finding of accidental drowning with bipolar disorder being a significant factor. They found absolutely no evidence of recreational drugs or even significant amounts of alcohol in her system at the time. There is also no evidence of physical or sexual trauma. The full report, released in June of 2013, gives the toxicology information, but also notes that her rectum was prolapsed and that she had subcutaneous blood pooling in her anal area, which could have been signs of sexual assault. But... To be honest, it could have also been due to how she was decomposing in the water because she had been there for quite some time. And the reason why people end up putting bodies in water, what I've seen from other cases, has been that they do decompose in a lot of a, a lot quicker than usual. But there's also a lot less evidence that you can find from where that they are. The water having moved it away or just broken it down so much that they really couldn't find it in a test. So... While they know how she died, they do not know how she could have gotten into the tank. For her to randomly go to the roof would have tripped an alarm and alerted staff. She could have easily used the hotel's fire escape to get to the roof and bypassed all the security measures that way. Not that that's unlikely, but to think about it, if and again, I'm not coming I'm coming from the or to this from a logical standpoint and not from a manic one. If we're going to go with that she's bipolar and this is a manic episode she's having. So 
I can't say how she would have come to that conclusion, but you would have to know the hotel pretty well to know that there were alarms and locks on the doors to get to the roof. Again, there would be probably video surveillance of you trying to get into the roof. Um, and then to get out into the fire escape, I have to believe that there had to be some other camera in that hotel. Um, even with that, even if she did know all that and she still got into the, onto the roof from the fire escape, the tanks in question were four by eight foot cylinders held up on concrete blocks. Employees even had to get a ladder that they used to access them. Um, the lids were also super heavy. And they, if you look at the pictures, they look really heavy too. Um, while she could have removed the lid to get into the tank, it's possible. Moving to get back in, especially in water where your feet can't always get a good grip, seems truly implausible. And the fact that she was naked is also questionable. It's not that she had, it's not like she had decomposed so much that her clothes had just decomposed off of her. That is not a thing, um, the way that she was found. Then there's also, again, the video surveillance. Who was she talking to? Was she experiencing a manic episode? Her medications were found in her system at the time of death. So there's no reason to believe that going cold turkey off of them could have brought on such a deep manic episode. She does appear to be hiding from someone in that video, though, and that's also what makes it just so unsettling. Another issue that I have trouble with, because I can, I can reason all of these things out with the exception of closing that tank, that, that kind of is a mystery. There's also the other issue. Her phone was missing. She didn't appear to have it with her on, or on her at the elevator and it wasn't found in her room either. So the reason this is so problematic and why I just can't leave it up to someone's terribly timed theft of a cell phone is that her blog kept posting. Do you remember the Tumblr blog, Nouvelle Nouveau? Well, it kept posting well into December, a lot in February, um, a little bit in June. I think there's one in March and then December. It seems to skip quite a bit. So some people online have said that, okay, well, Tumblr allows you to schedule posts and pretty much every blog site or even podcasting site allows you to schedule posts. But she had a lot of scheduled posts then in February when she would have been dead already. She had a lot of posts all the way up until December. And the posts are pretty innocuous. Um, They don't really seem in keeping with things that she would have posted. And there's just, there's interesting things on there. At one point she posts, I think it's on February 27th, She posts the Hermit, which is a a tarot card. Very telling to me, just because, I mean, she was found alone. She was found dead, which most people found dead or found alone. But it was just interesting to me. So um, they could be. One of the things that I did think, okay, well, this is a very, very popular case, especially with conspiracy theorists. It could absolutely just be the work of a hacker determined to keep the mystery alive. But it could also be the work of a friend, just trying to keep Elisa's memory alive. We don't know, because the posts do stop in December of 2013. It's been six years since this happened, and honestly, we don't know any more information than we did in 2013. Elisa's family ended up suing the Cecil. But Cecil, see, I did it again, because I said I would say Cecil, and I went with Cecil. You know what? You get what I'm trying to say. You understand. 
So the family sued the Cecil Hotel, but it came to nothing. I mean, they tried to do a a wrongful death suit, but there was literally no way that they could have known that Elisa would find herself on the roof. And they had taken reasonable measures to prevent people from going up onto the roof for any reason. Because again, this hotel has been known for suicides, suicides from the roof even. In fact, one of the suicides from, I believe it was the roof, when they fell, they also killed a pedestrian on when they landed. So obviously this hotel knows about roof, like keeping people off the roof, because it's not like it's never happened before that someone's committed suicide or done something nefarious on that roof. So... In the end, Elisa Lamb's disappearance and death are a mystery we may never see solved, which is heartbreaking because she does have a family out there. This did only happen six years ago, and there should be more information. I mean, there's so many true crime documentaries out there where information did come through, and it came through in this time when there's just so much scientific evidence or ways to get evidence. So it's just odd to me that there would be nothing for this girl's death, she died in a commercial hotel. And there's just nothing to say what happened, really, other than the bipolar disorder. But again, there's just a lot of mystery surrounding that. So that is why it is the, one of the only mysteries that seriously freak me out. And just doing this amount of research, just doing this podcast, I guarantee you I'm going to be thinking about it all day and all night. And it's going to really, really bother me. But nevertheless... I know I'm not the only one who's bothered by it because if you look at her blogs, there's note after note after note of people who sympathize with her thoughts at the time and people who just lament that she didn't get the help that they felt that she deserved. I mean, again, she was seeing a psychiatrist. She had been seeing someone, but as someone who's seen a psychiatrist, they don't really talk to you too much about therapy. That's the job for a therapist. So maybe that was the case. Maybe she wasn't getting the therapy that she needed on top of the um, medications. But that is the story of Elisa Lamb. Feel free to reach out to me if you have any theories as to what happened to her. I would love to hear them. Um, And please look forward to next week for our next episode, which I am not going to tell you what it is. I just like the element of surprise, to be honest with you. (laughs) But Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week for another episode of the Historical Paranormal Podcast. Mm